This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. not put in this world just to be enough. You were designed as a gift, endowed with a unique mission only you can fulfill. Your duty is to design a life that inspires the world to be better. You have a choice to make that decision. Valeria Tellez interviews January Donovan, the author of The Art of Being a Woman Masterclass Workbook, Practical Guide to Wholeness. January Donovan is a self-worth strategist, best-selling author, speaker, entrepreneur, and mama of eight, founder of The Woman's School, a school designed to rebuild culture one woman's formation at a time. The Woman's School's vision is wholeness. It is dedicated to training women's mindset and building skill set that will give her practical tools to integrate every part of her life. January has trained thousands of women for over 20 years, coaching them to lead women into an integrated life of freedom and wholeness. She is a number one best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur. She has built several successful companies while raising eight children alongside her husband. They are dedicated to rebuilding the church through the formation of the domestic church in order to bridge Christ's message to the world. January recently launched a podcast called Rebuild Our Church, The Janny and Angie Show. It focuses on how to strategically rebuild our church in the time of darkness. The Women's School also helps women build a business by rebuilding women's worth. Meet January at JanuaryDonovan.com. Here is the interview with January Donovan. In your own words, who is January Donovan? January Donovan is a student, a mother, a wife, a teacher, and I would say a servant and somebody who is a daughter of God. That's who January Donovan is for me. What, where, and who is God to you? He's my everything. That's what God is to me. He has given me life. He is where I come from and is where I am heading. He is the one that gives me the grace for the moment. I believe that everything is a gift and he enables so many beautiful things in my life and I'm eternally grateful. So he, it's, it's a relationship. It's an intimate relationship with a person. That's what God is to me. And where is God in January? 
I would say intimately in my heart. He's everywhere. He's in people. Um, he's in all things true, good and beautiful. He's around us. He's everywhere. And there's a question that I often ask um, about God being referred to as a man, uh, him. So I'm wondering if we can change that and call God her. To me, I have, it is my belief that God to me is a man. So, uh, you know, I think of God the Father because that's what my faith has taught me and as a Christian woman. And I think that's an important part of my relationship with him. You wrote the uh, workbook, The Art of Being a Woman, Masterclass Workbook, Practical Guide to Wholeness. What is to be whole? What is wholeness to you? It is derived from the idea that actually it comes from scripture. And it, it comes from the scripture, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect comes from the Greek word teleseo, which actually means to be whole and to mature. So, you know, extracting from that to be whole is actually to be complete, to be, I would say, without lack, which the opposite would be parts of us are incomplete. So wholeness allows us the capacity to contribute to the lives of the people around us because we are overflowing when we are whole, we are not depleted. So wholeness in context of a woman is that every part of our life we have enabled the gift, we have received, and we have formed it so that it can become a reservoir to the people around us. So wholeness is really the maturity and the growth of the woman. So being a woman, what is to be a woman? I think that it could be right now in our current culture, you know, I simply to find it that we are born with a biology of being a woman. And it's really as simple as that. And I think that we learn how to, I would say, awaken the gifts that we have been given in context of how we were born as a woman. And, you know, the art of being a woman is really about being a masterpiece so that we can contribute the best of who we are for the world. It's if you're looking at a painting, you know, it takes years of mastery. That for the work of a woman is is continuous. It's that self-work that leads to mastery of self that enables us to have sustained capacity for generosity so that every person we meet, we contribute. And in a very practical level, we walk in a room not to usurp attention, but to bring light to every person we meet. And that's what art does, it, it breathes life to people, it inspires people. So the art of being a woman is really a woman that inspires the world to be better by sheer contact of who she is, by sheer encounter of her presence. What do you love most about being a woman in January? I think the capacity to inspire and encourage everybody to live into their full potential. I think as women, we have the capacity to nurture every human heart that we come in contact and I do that as an entrepreneur. I do that as a mother. I do that as, as a wife who admires her husband. I do that as a friend and always seeking the opportunity to contribute to the people around us. I just love the opportunity and the privilege to be able to bring light and inspire and encourage 
the room around us. I think women walk in so many different rooms in their lifetime. And in that room, they have an opportunity to awaken the souls around them, to breathe life. And that's what inspire means is to breathe life, not by what she does, but by who she is in a sincere, genuine state. It's the conversation. It's the body language. It's the sincerity of her soul. It's her humility. It's her depth. It's her, it's her wisdom that does not point towards her, but points towards the creator. The creation should always point towards the creator. And it's not about us. It's about allowing us to become a vessel for something so beautiful. I absolutely love your wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Being a vessel for something greater than us. Right. Yep, we're not. I remember my my teacher used to say, "January, you're not the destination." So stop acting like it. And I think that's important because I think women can get really caught up with comparison, competition, right. and yeah. cattiness. Yeah, and we forget the privilege of the light around us, and 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 we miss on wisdom. You know, when when so when it's true. and it's about us. Since uh, we are talking about supporting other women um, and being less competitive or non-competitive, really. So what are some of your suggestions to do that? How can we cultivate that more? I think this goes back to the question of our self-image. If the image that we hold of ourselves is that we are not enough because we are incomplete, which is the opposite of whole, then as a byproduct, we're constantly looking at everyone else around us in comparison because there's a scarcity mentality. Mm, so by being whole, we actually give ourselves the privilege to not compete and compare. Secondly, our, so, so the self-image that we hold of ourselves is that we are a generous woman who seeks to contribute to the lives around us. On a neurological level, Comparison and competition is neurologically wired in our brain. I teach about this deeply in our masterclass. To understand just like a language, we learn it through habit. So is comparison and competition. It becomes so habitual that women walk in the room and they're sizing everyone else around them. And it's a blockage to freedom and to capacity for us to bring light. So that needs to be neurologically wired because it's been hardwired in our world that continually competes. And then thirdly, I give really practical application and I tell women, walk in every room in your lifetime and compliment every single woman you meet in your thoughts alone. And then communicate to them, compliment them, and don't leave room for any ill thought about another woman and do that for 15 days to wire your brain, 60 days to hardwire your brain. And you're going to see doors open and you're going to see peace and you're going to see freedom like you've never tasted before. And you're not even going to know what comparison and competition was. And that's what my mentor did when I was 19 years old in college. My homework was to make my bed and get rid of comparison and competition. It's changed my life. How do you teach that to your own children? I know you have yeah, eight children, right? I have eight children. You can't teach it unless you become that woman. So I think that the best way to teach it is that I actually embody the freedom, the generosity, the sincerity, so that I'm able to talk them through you know, the cattiness that happens at nine, 10 years old, and I'm able to look at them and say, we don't speak ill of someone. Or I'm able to say, you know what, let's think the best of her. You know what, there's no comparison and competition in this house. That's an illegal move. The language that we use is really important. 
you know, the language in our house, there's illegal words that my children know. My three-year-old knows it. My four-year-old knows it. And these are words that if we do not want to include in our being who we become, because that becomes habitual and neurologically wired, then we don't use it. Such, you know, such as perfection, the way it's abused in our language. Words become flesh. So uh, I rewire belief systems in their brain and I give them scripts. So in our house, my children write scripts almost every day because that's how we write the brain. We practice communication with each other so that they know how to communicate effectively and strategically. And my children know that it's 7% words, 38% you know, tonality, 55% body language. So they understand uh, how to do that. And really, you know, it, it's not something you teach, it's something you embody yeah, and right. it's not separate. So there has to be a cohesiveness in the way we raise our children so that we as women, I think, need to be constantly growing so we have something to give. And that's what I teach is that how can we teach our children if we're suffering those pains? We can't give what we don't have. We can't even, we can't love our children if we don't even in the capacity that they that they need if we don't actually love ourselves. Yeah. And that is really profound because I don't think we understand how to love ourselves. There's no training. You don't go to school for self-love. Self-love is often seen as self-care, which is such just a sliver of what love is. It has become unknowing to me, everything you say about self-love, loving yourself first. You can't give what you don't have and being what you say you are. It's not just words. And I tell my children, knowing isn't being. Just because you know, that doesn't mean you are. The only metric is that you are. So, And that's, I think, dangerous. Because my children would say, I know, mom. I said, knowing isn't being. You tell me who you are by your, the way you communicate yourself to me. And that also brings me to the topic of, or reminds me of an important topic, which is perfectionism. So perfection, perfectionism. What is the difference, January? How do we learn to balance so we are not too hard on ourselves too and we practice self-love? Yeah, so I think perfectionism, the way we actually have abused it in our culture, means it's flawless, which is a really, I would say, a rat race of a goal. And we use it so, you know, abusively in a language, oh, that's just perfect. That's, you know, oh, that looks perfect. So I tell women, and I train thousands of women, that we need to replace in order to erase. So, in, you know, we need to replace the word perfection with progress. And I think that our progress looks different for every single woman. And I think that there has to be an internal drive to become the best version of herself apart from the external because perfection is really just seeking the approval of the other. So if our self-worth, and I call it the, the poisonous P in the woman's school, if our self-worth is based on perfection, pleasing, proving, our production, and our popularity, we will never understand our value. We will constantly never be good enough. And if our value is external, circumstantial, and not something objective we understand and hardwire, then we will suffer for the rest of our life this doubt, which will not lead us to really fully loving ourselves. Because in order to love ourselves, we have to know thyself. You can't love something you don't know. 
Would you say that there is a point where we can say that, that we know ourselves, or this is a practice for life? I think it's dangerous to, to say, to know thyself. I think some of the greatest, wisest people is to always know that they don't know enough. And I that's what I teach my children. And, and I say that I think you can learn certain layers of you, but because of we are such dynamic human woman being that you know, as we grow, we enter a new stage of learning and wisdom. So I tell myself that I'm a student for the rest of my life. And I pray that I will constantly learn from young people, from old, from all different types of, you know, wisdom. And that for the, oh, it's a way of life for me to have that level of, I would say, childlike curiosity to learn from other people so that I am constantly growing. And growing comes, you know, from this root word hummus. Humility comes from the root word hummus, which is a rich, dark soil in which things can grow from. So in order for us to actually have that learning constant, there has to be that humility that is ordered. I love the idea of holding that space for order, but also um, curiosity, um, being open to change all the time. Yeah. We call it firm and fluid in the woman's school. We put language to it. So firm and fluid. And I think that the tension, the art is about the contradiction. And that's, I believe, is a true mastery of the woman. She can live both in the tension of firm and tender. What are the most challenging aspects about being a woman? Gosh, that's a tough question, honestly, because I think it's a privilege. <laughs> I do, wow. but that's the lens in which I believe. I, I, right. I think at one point, the challenging part to me was not compromising what I truly believe I was created for and I deserve when it came to um, finding my life's partner, the man I have right now. I think that was a real challenge for me because I didn't know how to, I would say, elevate my standards when it came to men. And that was a struggle. And so I don't, I, I can't answer that question. Maybe perhaps I see it as a, everything as, as a gift and an opportunity. You know, the dance that I have, I often think is that I am a mom of eight and I am an entrepreneur. I am, you know, we're building a, a school and I think the demands of the world around us. However, you know, that can be, I would say, remedied by, a, by learning new skills every day. You know, anything that is hard means that there's a new skill that needs to be unearthed within us. So that's what I teach women. So I think the demands perhaps of, and the confusion, I would say, of what we're pulled from every different direction could be possibility because I truly believe that motherhood is a place for expansion. It's not the place for the death of dreams. Mm, and most women, I think, run into that conflict because we lack the skills and the training and the formation to be able to embody both. I think our motherhood is integrated with our life's call and mission, along with, uh, I would say, our partners in life, our husband, our spouses. So it's not in conflict. It could pose as a conflict when we're trying to manage it but it doesn't have to be. I think it's a beautiful, I think woman is such a gift. <laughs> I think it's a privilege. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Contribution, I think. That's my quick and un, you know, sort of pondered um, response. I think the human experience is for us to be able to amass wisdom so we can give it right back 
I wounds are a compass towards our contribution. All the pains that we have are there as a as an opportunity for us to be able to heal other people through those pains that we experience. So yeah, I think that we are made for light. We are made for contribution. We are made to to be able to heal and that our presence matters so much in the tapestry of life. What is freedom to you? What is the meaning of freedom to you? It's a capacity to choose our highest and best self at every moment. That's freedom. It's knowing that I can choose my state, that I am not making a decision out of fear, out of anxiety, out of stress, out of lack, that I can choose the highest and best self with joy and in peace. That's true freedom. And that is not a small mountain to climb because it requires compounding skills and layers of formation and deep undoing of old wounds and mindset to come to a point we are free. And I also believe that freedom is to love the woman we're becoming. And I think becoming is the word because there is freedom in knowing that we are constantly growing. Mm, I think arrival is a form of a prison. What I mean by that is to think we have arrived as a form of a prison and there's no freedom in there. So I'm wondering if there was a moment where you uh, realized that you had these understandings, these deep understandings about yourself and life. Well, I think I've always been a student of life. I, you know, I think my wounds have led me to both my knees and my study. I met a mentor, and when I was in college, when I was at the bottom, uh, I would say the bottomest part of my life, and in, in pain, and I met her, and she said, "January, what kind of woman do you want to be?" And I remember having that sort of laugh that was sort of doubtful, and she said, "Let's design you." And so for the next three and a half years, we crafted and designed the woman who would be able, able is the word, to contribute to the world. And every three weeks, uh, she gave me homework. I met with her. Everything was written. She helped me wire my brain. So I don't know if a moment as it was a season. And I would say that I have... I have taken that privilege of being mentored. Specifically, I remember she would say, "Let's. what would you like to be? I said, well, I want to know I'm beautiful. And so now let's define beauty. Mm, right. I want to be simple. So let's define simple. So we had defined it. And then she gave me homework to embody it. It was so, it was sort of entering the layers of freedom because I think freedom comes in layers. That's the first thought that comes into my head. And I would also say the second thing is really my faith. I think it's it, it, there's freedom in knowing that the buck doesn't stop at me, that there is an eternal destination, that there's, there's a God who loves me and that I am uniquely created in love and for love. That's a freedom point and that there is nothing I can do that would ever separate me from that gaze of his love that I can always come to him. And I think thirdly is the love of my husband. I think there's freedom in being loved. And the way he has loved me has truly given me freedom that I cannot put into words. And that to me is is a gift, like all things, because you know, we we when you can walk with somebody and in your nakedness and you know you're loved and that they are in awe of who you are and that they would protect you, they would lay their life for you. I think that's a freedom that is sweetly tasted. And 
also, it's a freedom that every woman deserves. I think we all deserve and were created for freedom. When you say this love that God has for you, is that a belief or it's a knowing? Would you be able to say, not that I believe in God, but I know God? That's a great question. I would say that initially you know it. And then when you build the relationship, then you incarnate that knowing. Because what you read in the books and you know you read in the Bible and it's all information until it becomes incarnation, which means you actually experience that intimate love. So it has to be, I think, both. Because um, I think God, my relationship with God is an intimate relationship where I can be raw and real and who I am and know that I am loved. How did you become a writer? And also, um, why did you choose to become a self-worth uh, strategist? Uh, so first question is, I feel that I have been extremely blessed to have both my pain and people who guided me. However, I always thought I was a horrible writer because I came from the Philippines and that's a neurological wiring and that our my, you know, language wasn't, it wasn't my first language. So I would continually write anyway. So I began to just pour my heart. I have thousands and thousands of, of just writing. I've always written and journaled all my life. I, I have stacks of it. Um, I just did my 10,000 hours of writing, but I wrote in beauty and in, in a place of beauty and in place of freedom. So I think that's how I learned to, to write and that it isn't even about the outcome as it is that I was called to write. So there's a detachment from the outcome. So I just loved it. And I think it was also a great way for me to contribute. So I needed to train January Donovan's skill set so I could contribute through written words. And then your second question is how to become a self-worth strategist. Because I truly believe that our worth is under attack. Our worth is determined by our popularity, by our possessions, by our perfection, who, you know, how people we can please by our production. I mean, if you're an A student and without us understanding our value, we cannot make choices in freedom. So there's actually a massive learning about our self-worth and it's often, we talk about, you know, you're worth it, you can do it, you know, you're enough, but i I fear that it's in a very shallow way, that we don't actually understand it from a neurological, biological, you know, we're made, uh, you know, 100 billion neurons in our brain, trillions and trillions of cells, uniquely created, irreplaceable DNA. I think when we understand our value, we can make choices that are so profound in alignment with our call. And so when I use the word strategist, I mean that we cannot, we've got to be students and we've got to study the context of our world and strategize so that we can maximize our very short time in this world to develop our talent so we can understand our life and God-given mission. But we can only do that if we understand our value, which is our self-worth. So that's why I really felt that that was a valuable um, learning that I had to learn for myself. And I want to continue to learn and share with other women who 
who are also under attack. There's a war against our worth in our current culture today, and it needs to stop because women are getting wounded. And we are wounding each other because we're getting attacked. True. And do you use those two words in the same way, self-worth and self-love? Yes, I do. Um, I mean, you have to break it down. I think self, you know, our self-worth in its fullness, we need to understand what self-love is. And in order for that, we need to learn and study who we are first. So that's why I teach, you know, that's why we have the woman's school, because there's no place where you can cohesively learn about the practical mindset and skill set and based on every part of the woman. That's why in our master course and in the woman's school, we have the wheel, the different arenas of our life, because I think we live in a culture where only parts of us are valued. Mm, right. right. It's our work life. And motherhood is devalued. Maybe it's just a relationship and not certain friendship, our environments. And if we look at only parts of us as valuable, it is only a matter of time until we no longer continue to grow because it holds us back. We are created as whole and every part of us matters. I have these ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your workbook? Uh, that's it's a four hundred page book. So <laughs> <Right>. it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think more than anything, I I invite women to grow deeper into knowing who they are for the sole purpose of becoming a contribution to humanity. I think that the time is now for us to mature, and what I mean to mature is to develop both our mindset, our skill set, as an integrated woman so that we can actually bring light to every single room we walk into. And that requires us to become a student. And that requires us to have a guide. And that requires us to have a level of humility to say, I don't actually know. And that I can always know more. And that's what I teach my children. That's what I teach in the woman's school. And so my invitation to women is that let's change the next generation of women. Let us not hand over a generation of women where women have to doubt their value, their self-worth. It has to stop and begin with us. Stop with the self-doubt and begin to understand our value. And if we do this generationally, we can hand over a generation of women that is free. Because a hundred years ago, we we could vote and we were given uh, the choice and the freedom, but we weren't really free until we were free to become our fullest and highest and best self. So let's create freedom that's both external and internal. And I think that it takes every woman saying, I need to work on myself. It's called self-work. That's what we call it in the woman's school. And if there is a collaboration of self-work, then we come together whole. And that's how we change the world. We make the world whole again by first becoming whole ourselves, Because we cannot bring peace unless we are peaceful. We cannot bring love unless we love ourselves. And it goes back to the scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It is a prerequisite to love our neighbor to actually love ourselves. Yeah. That's a powerful learning. Oh, it's powerful, everything. <laughs> that is everything to me from my perspective. Yeah, how beautiful. Thank you again. 
You're most welcome. Uh, two more questions, the ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't ponder it. I feel like I wake up every day giving it everything I've got. So uh, I find that all my my pain, my mistakes, I learn from it. If I could do anything and start back, I would have probably gotten a mentor all my life and not just parts of my life to help me maximize my time and not waste my time. That's what I think I would do. You know, I think we waste a lot of time. I always, you know, tell the women, what if I was going for the Olympic gold medal Mm -hmm. and I decided to train every once a month, maybe a little bit here, maybe a little bit there without a coach, without a guide. Think about the Olympians. They have nutritionists. They have, you know, all different coaches, but we are the, we are in the Olympics of our lifetime. This is the only Olympic we have is our own life. So we must hold hold ourselves accountable and take seriously our need for growth and learning and guidance and say there is no time to waste to become a student. And then we can become a master. And it is the master that is really the most profound student. So my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I am loved by God who loves me. That's number one. I have a unique contribution, just as every woman is a unique contribution that's irreplaceable. And if that that we are going to be held accountable for in our lifetime, I would say that motherhood is a privilege and a gift. I would say for certain. And I'm going to add one more thing, and that is to share a union and a love with a man that I would say you can share life with and share equal admiration is like a taste of heaven. That's a good title for a book. <laughs> a taste of heaven. I love that. You should write that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much, January, again and again for your beautiful oh. presence, your wisdom, your empowering vision and message. Uh, everything about you is Beautiful and empowering. Thank you. Well, thank you, Valerie. Thank you for the privilege to be here. It is a gift and I don't take it lightly. So thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Sure. You can go to januarydonovan.com or thewomenschool.org. Either way, uh, we have strategists, which are women guides and coaches, and they are incredible women that are leading the charge in learning what self-love is and transformation from within. So you can learn more about really what the school offers both as a student and as a teacher. We, and, and that's our mission is to rebuild culture one woman's worth at a time. So you can also take our wholeness quiz as a starting point. And you, if you go on the website, there's a quiz that you can take and it, you know, you, it's five questions for each arena of your life, your self-image, your health, which is composed of your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, your friendship, intimacy, your contribution, your environment, your wealth, and your family. And so that's the the eight arenas of a woman's life. You can take the wholeness quiz and see where you are in the journey towards wholeness. And then we invite you to join us 
in the wholeness growth through the woman's school and really begin the journey of becoming the woman you're called to be. I'll have those links on the podcast page as well. Thank you so much again, January. My pleasure. And we'll talk soon. Great. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about January Donovan and her works, please visit JanuaryDonovan.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.